I'm Mariangela Abeo, and this is the Face to Faces podcast, a conversation series that provides a platform focusing on the LGBTQ and POC communities and their allies in the areas of activism, politics, mental health, arts and entertainment, and community. In this space, we discuss the human experience in our ever-changing world. My goal here is to remind you that while you may have moments where you feel isolated and alone, there is always an incredible community of people here that is safe. We all connect to people at our deepest pains and our greatest joys. And in this space, we're here for those moments and everything in between. I'm so glad you're here. Take a seat next to me. It's always open. Now, let's lean in. Okay, we are back for the second installment of the Caucasity with my co-host, Portia Birch. How are you, my friend? I am good, my darling. How are you? It's been a month, hasn't it? It's been a month. I mean, what a year this month has been, right? Right. I feel like it... <laughs> I'm, why am I exhausted? And we've only done two episodes, but I mean, yeah, it's been a year this month and now, oh yeah, we have yeah. a lot of content to talk about in an hour. We do. I think how, are, we do. how are you feeling after uh, all of the, everything that happened with the Derek Chauvin case, with everything that happened in the... Uh, aftermath with Micaiah Bryant like there it was it was quite a 24 hours it was um so it was heavy when the final arguments came through and then when the jury went into deliberation that was heavy in itself right and then getting the alerts that the verdict would be read that day I will be completely honest with you Em I sat in my bed and I sobbed And I sobbed and I sobbed and I sobbed prior to a verdict being read because of what I expected to happen. I stumbled across a statistic recently. Since 2005, there have been 15,000 murders at the hands of the police and five convictions. Five. Five. So with statistics like that, I did not feel good, right? Um, It was being likened, obviously, to Rodney King, Emmett Till, there was a lot of things that just didn't feel good. So when the verdict happened, there was this exhale of, oh oh my gosh, like this actually happened, right? But then the mindset immediately went into, everybody's like, great, justice, 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 not justice, accountability. Right. And as I'm filming a TikTok, to talk about how it's accountability and not justice. Live footage of the aftermath of Micaiah Bryant is on my Facebook feed. And I opened this video up thinking this can't, this can't be right, right? This can't be from today. And it was live, it was live footage, 16 years old. So to ask how I'm feeling is a mess essentially to be put through all of those emotions of like terror and fear that we're not even gonna have accountability to now the slightest modicum of relief about Derek Chauvin going to prison where he belongs, which is 
another conversation, but that to then anger and sadness and heartbreak, heartbreak and grief about another name that needs to be said because of a murder at the hands of the police. It was ripped away from you. In like ripped away within seconds. And that's our reality. And that's, you know, there were, there were a lot of people throwing around the justice word, um, which was so hard for me because I felt like I was directing traffic in many ways. Cause I was like, well, nope, nope, nope. Right. We're not doing, we're not using that word. That's right. not. And it's not justice. It's, it's very easy to say that justice was served. No, we can't be like, it's hard to celebrate, to ask, especially black and brown people to celebrate a system that finally worked in the way that it was supposed to work is hard to do to ask brown and black people to be excited about this after everything that had to happen. Global protests. The 16 year old whose video came to light. What she went through by producing that video, her being on the stand, all of these testimonies the fact that we had to rewatch, and I had obviously the decision was made, but rewatching George Floyd beg, beg for his mother, beg for his life, all of that trauma that we had to go through to get to this point. You had to relive. Yes. The only thing that made it better was watching Derek Chauvin's face when he realized that even though he's white, he's got to pay his dues. Like that in its moment, and I will, and this is, this speaks a lot against of the work that I do with transformative justice, but watching his face go from smug to, oh shit. I mean, that still brings me a little bit of joy. Yeah, and, and you're, yes, I don't think there's anything wrong. That's joy I get to have. I yes. get to have that joy. Yes. But, the, but again, that's, that's the joy that we have to look for. Yeah, that's, I think that's, that's the point that needs to be made here is that that's where you're having to find joy and that's fucked up. That's fucked up. The collective breath holding that happened. Um, also, I was shocked that it was so fast. So that's, was I. that's what made me think, oh God, this can't be good. It's so fast that this, what? four hours that jury had the weight of the entire world on its shoulders if we like even separating the fact that they had their civic duty to listen to all of the facts weigh all the facts prove without a reasonable doubt that Derek Chauvin murdered George Floyd okay there was so much evidence produced that proved what happened outside of the fact that we all watched it we all saw it. But then to have that added layer of pressure of what's going on in the world and know that what decision comes from that room was going to really kind of narrate what the world was going to look like going forward. The way that I feared for the world being set on fire. I have a friend who lives in Minneapolis. She's a, a, a young black queer woman and when I found out that the verdict was happening I'm texting her I'm like check in check in check in check in she's like I'm just leaving the hospital 
So then I'm like, are you okay? Forgetting that she works there. She's like, I'm on my way home. Um, she sent me her lift route. So I would know when she was home. And because of the climate, she was refreshing her drivers until she got a black driver. Which again, why should that have to happen? But it makes sense. Yeah, totally. You know? Um, so that, 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 that whole, Oh, it just, it's, it's, it still doesn't sit right with my soul. Like it still doesn't sit right with my soul. I'm glad that there's accountability. I'm glad that this man is being held accountable for what he did by murdering George Floyd, but there's still nothing to feel good about. There's nothing to feel good about with this. And I think that that's really difficult for people to understand that this is a two truth situation. We got the result that should have happened because the justice system worked how it was designed to work. But if the system was working how it's truly supposed to work, we would have never gotten to this point where we had a murder trial. Right, right. There was a, um, there was, you know, they announced it like 30 minutes before they were going to announce it. So we were all like holding our breaths and I was watching live and there was a, like a political, a black female who worked in, in legal, um, in, in law. I don't think she was a lawyer, but she worked in the legal department and she was giving her feedback on the charges and like what we were looking at. And she was talking about how she had done so much research around how uh, the charge, it would have been so much harder for them to prove first degree murder. It's almost impossible to prove without a shadow of a doubt. And that this was a lot more plausible for them. And that was really hard for me to listen to because it was like, this woman had done so much research around that to essentially say we had to do, they had to do this to even have a chance, even though we all know this is what happened. And that happens so often is that these charges have to be reduced in order to get a guilty sentence. Right. When we know for a fact, if the races were different, in this situation, murder in the first degree, if, if, the, if, if it was switched, if it was- Without swapped, a doubt, without a doubt. Without a doubt. And it, that's, 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 that's the reality that we live in. It's, it's just, I, I think that what I struggle with is how do we watch that trial? And it's not the first one we've watched. How do we keep watching these trials and still keep end up ending there? And it's, it's such a hypothetical question. It's such a question that I don't want the answer to because I know the answer. But here's where we're at because of this culture that has permeated into our lives. That is continually, I mean, I, I had a lot of people, uh, I watched a lot of Twitter kind of unfold and a lot of people say, look at, look at all of our protesting works look at what all of our protesting did. And I was like, are you telling me that that amount of quote unquote work was that that's the result that we, are you saying that's the only way we should get, be able to allow to get these results? It's if we have to push that hard. Are you hearing what you're saying? We shouldn't have to do any of this. I am so glad I haven't heard that argument. Yeah, I, I lit them on fire. 
because I've it was said it, but I haven't heard that argument. Like it's one thing to say it, but it's nothing that yeah. I can actually use that as a, that's look at all of our protesting, look at what it did. And I was like, honey, we weren't protesting for a new coffee machine right. in the room. We're trying to like, we're trying to make sure that black lives aren't taken at the hands of the fucking police. This is something different. Yes, protesting works. And this is like something I want to go very far. I'm not saying don't get in the fucking streets, but that's that should not be the only thing that's being done, nor should it be like our protesting got us there. No, we need some fundamental fucking change. And just as quickly as you want to jump and get in those streets, make a phone call, write a fucking letter, use the access to the people of power that your black and brown counterparts don't have. That's been such a message I've had. White people have access to government that black and brown people do not have because we are denied it. Period. And like at what point, I, I think I saw a creator, I think it was a TikTok creator um, that was trying to make the point during all of this. Um, and especially uh, with the, with Makai Bryant afterwards of right. the video being surfaced, somebody, and maybe uh, if it was you, I'm sorry. And I just didn't register. Someone said, Black lives are more important than ACAB. Oh, I didn't say that, but that's true. And it was like your hate for the police and the way that you are circulating these videos and information is not valuing Black trauma, Black experiences, Black lives right now. It's becoming something else, its own monster. And you need, like, we need to rein it in for the sake of Black lives. We do. We do. A friend of mine just made a really good point. We, we keep circulating these, these videos of Black trauma, right? Whether it's violence, Black violence, or um, racism, whatever the case may be. And she said it this way. She's like, hey, what if you told me about abuse that you've been through or trauma you've been through in your life? A specific set. And what I did as a way of solidarity is I just kept sending you videos. Ooh! What a that trauma. Great, great right? example. I'm going to say her name on here because she'll listen. It's Elle. She, and she said it in one of her TikToks. She's like, what if I just sent you videos of this trauma? What if I sent you videos of actions that tie into that? How does that make you feel? I absolutely love that example because I think that is a really great way of explaining what it does. But again, I hate that we have to center ourselves right. and get this fucking point across. Right. We're, we're, we're going to be in a true truth situation for a very long time because of the fact that we are working so hard to break down this system that is so fundamentally fucking broken. We have to have these two truths. It sucks that we have to come up with these creative ways of explaining it, but Jesus, if that's how it works right now. Right. Wow. If that's what opens the door to something we got to take it on the chin a little bit, you know? So now going forward, you know, I, I know the first thing for me is I keep checking to see what the hell is happening with the Ohio police department. And if anybody's going to be brought to justice or accountability, not justice accountability, uh-huh. but I've, it's been crickets. Of course it has. It's going to be crickets for two reasons. Number one, the minute that it happened, there were explaining it away because she had a knife. Cool. Um, Kyle Rittenhouse had something a little bit more dangerous than a knife. 
Mm -hmm. There was a there's a, a British TikToker that did a, a TikTok today that I saw somebody duet and she said, I mean, you're excusing things now. We had someone with a knife that uh, somebody stopped him with a chair. We had another person with a knife that someone someone stopped him with a, a, a barricade like you don't have to shoot someone. You don't. There's also the whole um, we haven't even talked about Dante Wright. Um, there's also the whole, there's a white man. I can't remember where it was because it doesn't fucking matter anymore, but he, he assaulted a police officer as part of his arrest. So you have like it, within the same fucking week, you have Dante Wright pulled over for a secondary traffic stop. First of all, for having a fucking air freshener. Okay. There's that. I'm going to, I'm going to not even talk about everything that happened in between the fact that this 26 year veteran of the police force pulled her gun over her taser. If Pat, is it Pat Robinson, Roberson, whatever that fucking old rice, like racist white knit, like he's a oh, yes. guy. He was even like, how does this happen? If we're getting to that point where he's now saying the police need reform, but back to what I'm saying. So in that instance where she's doing a traffic stop, pulls her gun instead of her taser, and still fight, not, yeah, the, that point, at that point, you had to feel it. You know what I mean? You felt the weight. Your taser's on your non-dominant. Like, there's, there's so many things. Again, all of this shit that goes into training for police. I'm, it, and then you have in that same fucking week, a white man who assaults the police for another traffic stop. We cannot keep seeing this shit in real time. These aren't even what ifs anymore. This is actually what's happening. Right. And what's going to keep happening is that we have white people that are going to keep pulling this shit because they know that they can. We're not going to get the police reform that we need. We're not going to get the change that we need. And we're going to keep losing black and brown lives because we are not accessing, we're not addressing the main issue. And that is the fact that we have people that are running around half cocked on the police force because we let just anybody join. And the the amount of, uh, I, I think what I'm trying to combat as a white person to other white people is when Dante Wright, when this all happened, there was a lot of, well, what's the story? Everybody wants to know the story at that point. Well, what happened? What did he do? That's but when, but when is that question asked? In what situations is that question asked? Right. And why do you have to explain it away? Why, as a white person, do you need to find a reason to make this okay in your head? Like, have we unpacked that as white people? No. Because again, it comes down to the fact that white people think it's enough to hate racism. And because that mindset is I hate racism, then the next natural thought is racism obviously can't exist because I hate it. Or it doesn't exist around me. It doesn't exist around me because I don't like it. I won't tolerate it. So it's nowhere around me. All of that shit. So until we have true fucking anti-racist in this work or in this fucking world, like not even doing the work. And like, honestly, you don't have to be on the front lines to be anti-racist. 
you can just be an anti-fucking racist. You tell one person what it's like to be an anti-racist, then let them tell another person. It's not for everybody. But to pretend like it's not there or pretend like murdering a Black boy isn't a race, like an act of racism, that doesn't help the situation. No, it makes it worse. It's showing that you are trying to find an excuse for this to be okay. You're excusing away racism. There, like, I don't, I, I, I cannot, I cannot in good faith trust anybody that's going to try and explain away the murder of a black or brown person by a white police officer. Period. And we have to be at that point now. I feel like we have to be like, like you said, there's no more what ifs it's happening side by side next to each other in the news. Like I I feel like, and this is, this is something I said to somebody the other day when we were having a pretty heated discussion, I was like, what more do you need at this point? And the fact that you just said that, and this is one of those moments, you know how we do, where it's like something happens and we're like, oh yeah. The fact that we have to ask that question, that we have to demand more death, the fact that we have to defend more murder, the fact that we have to defend more fucking trauma in order for it to make sense. Why? Why? I don't like cauliflower. I think I used this before. I had it once. I don't like it. I'm not fucking with it again. Yeah. And I make sure it's nowhere near me. I am anti-cauliflower. I don't want that shit anywhere near me. I don't me. think you've ever used this before because I'm, it's new to me. So I'm, I'm. Maybe I, I use it I somewhere it. else, but cauliflower is a good example. And so, yeah, I, because I don't, because it, it goes beyond me not liking cauliflower. I don't tolerate it. I don't excuse away saying, oh, I'm going to have this cauliflower crust because it's here. Like, and it, it could be worse. No, I'm just not going to fucking have cauliflower crust because it's fucking disgusting. Like that that's where I'm at. And yes, it's generalizing it. Yes, it's simplifying it. But the capability is there for people to say, I am not going to tolerate this shit that I consider heinous. And that is the uncomfortable space that white people are refusing to be in. It's not the solidarity that we're looking for. It's really easy to watch to watch the verdict. It's really easy to tweet. I'm holding my breath right now. It's really easy to post on your story. The justice has been served. It's really easy to do all those things. You know, what's not easy are the conversations after. Yes. This is where we're disconnecting. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know. This is an interesting statistic that I would love to hear. For the white people that saw this happen and immediately started texting or tweeting justice for George Floyd or justice is served or they have BLM in their bios, maybe have the picture. What did they say to their counterparts that still think that this shouldn't have happened? Are you having those conversations? If you have justice for George Floyd as a tweet, I'm going to venture to say that, no, you don't. I'm not going to say not completely because a lot of people made that, that erroneous statement, like right away, like justice. And it's like, Ooh, but is it like, is it? No. 
And that's fair. That's fair. That's something we're all unlearning, right? We're just used to being like, yay, right thing, justice. But my question goes to the people that have to then go back to real life away from social media and talk to their white counterparts that think that the wrong thing happened and what they said. Did you say anything or did you just walk away? Or did you avoid the conversation in general because you knew what the person thought? Did you just not contact that person at all? Because what I I want to see happen is you picking up the phone and calling your racist uncle and saying, you see this right here? First of all, we shouldn't have had to get here. George Floyd should be alive. But now that he's not, and now that Derek Chauvin is going to jail for murdering him, do you see why this happened? It's, a, it's an ongoing thing. And it talks again, like we talked, this fight, this, this work, this fight, this, this, this need to create this anti-racist society does not stop. And it certainly doesn't stop with one guilty verdict. If anything, this should pick up the momentum. Exactly where it fucking starts. We are literally, we have this moment to look back to, first of all, how did Derek Chauvin even last in the forest this long? What else is there as well? Like, There's a few. This is not his first incident. If we're going to, and I'm going to save this for another conversation, but if we're not going to talk about abolishing the police, then what the fuck are we going to do to make sure they are doing the right thing? Another hypothetical, but I'm going to say it anyways. But there's all these conversations that happen after the fact. You're very true. Like this is, this is the start of the work that we're doing. This is propelling us to get to where we need to go. Like this is not, well, I can sit and rest for a minute. Ever. Not at all. And I think that the white mentality right now is, you know, listen, we talked about this last episode. Black Lives Matter is a trend. It's been trendy. The whole thing is a trend. So to support these things, these moments in time, these historic things is very trendy. But that's not the uncomfortable part. And what I'm worried about generational wise is, you know, I think the younger generations are really, I, I value them so much right now because of their levels of, of social consciousness and, and, you know, consent and education and educating themselves. Like, I feel like they're really good at that. And I feel like the older generations were the ones that are, oh, it's exhausting. The older, first of all, can we have a moment to discuss the fact that we are now the older generation? Oh, listen. (laughs) Yes. I had to say it. We are though. And so it's, I was, uh, yeah, I don't know if this is a good segue to talk about my weekend, but I do feel like, um, we're talking, uh, I want to talk about pop culture a little bit too, cause we just had the Oscars, but I, I do feel like this is a good segue cause we're talking about generations right now. Do you feel like that? I think so. Yeah. I think so. You know, I, um, I was, I was likened or not me, sorry. My generation was likened to being just one step away from boomers. And I was like, Oh yeah. But what I realized is 
me being someone that is open to learn, open to humbling myself when I make a mistake, open to public accountability. Um, I'm learning that that is rare in my generation. Right. In the white. Rare. Rare is a very nice way of saying it. Say, Say more. Say more. Did you mean to say unheard of and basically just frowned upon almost? Which is so wild to me because I'm like, y'all, like, why wouldn't you want, we essentially kind of were the, we were the, the um, mentors for this generation. You're getting there. Keep going. What? You're, you're getting as to why we don't accept it because we created some change. I think of a small amount. Yeah, we didn't have the internet. We had grunge music and uh-huh. you know, public enemy, and we uh-huh. didn't have a way to spread that message. No. And then also, because we didn't have the internet, we didn't know, or we didn't have access to find out that some of the shit we were saying was wrong. And that and- this is where we're going. And this is why I had, I had, it's time for another Eminem moment. I think we should be just, this should just be a segment. Can this just be a segment where M just outs themselves? M outs themselves. So you're going to do my theme song. Thanks. Great. Um, yeah, I had a misstep this weekend and, uh, you know, you lost your voice last week and I was like, why is the universe making it so we can't record? And then the universe was like, oh, here, let me give you some content for next week. And, uh, this happened on Saturday and I was like, after it happened, I was like, well, if I don't, if I don't talk about this on Monday, I like this, it's M&M time for me. So I was trying to impress someone. And I knew that they were Jewish and I knew that I wanted them to like me. So I uh, gave them a book written by a female rabbi that I had not read for 20 years. But again, this was ego-based. So I was like, I want to impress them. I'm going to give them this book. And my words were, it's an incredible book. (laughs) Fuck. It's an incredible book. Um. I really loved it when I read it. Um, let me know how you like it. Does it sound worse when you're saying it now? Oh God. Oh, it's so painful. Yeah. Um, and I have not read it for 20 years. And remember, this is me. And also, I think it's really important to note that the it's it, this is a household of people that ended up getting this book. Mm-hmm. An entire household of people that are a different generation, that are yeah. in their 20s, and that are all transgender and some are BIPOC. I gave this book trying to be cool, trying to impress. And I got a text that basically said, when is the last time you read this book? And my heart dropped. And I was like, fuck, I have not, I read it once. I read it when I was 24. I read it when I was 25, like, and I'm remembering who I was at that age. And I, all I got from that book was, this is a female rabbi writing a book, fictional book about what the Old Testament would look like if it was written in the mind of a, from the perspective of the females. So I was like, oh, this is feminist at its best, right? Mm -mm, No, the level of transphobia and and microaggressions about the one black child in this family, I had just not even registered. 
I was mortified because I sent this book as my first impression, okay? And this is when I realized two things. I, I, I was born a whole two generations before these people, the right. entire household. I lived at a time where we were not aware of this verbiage and I knew better and I should have done better. And I should have reread this book before giving it to them. And I should have done my fucking homework. Sure, I didn't have the internet then. I couldn't research Anita Diamant then, even if I had the tools in my own mind to really know what she was talking about. But I have the tools now. And would you have, even having the tools then, this is one of those tricky things, it was still language that was used at that time. It's still wrong as fuck. This is where it comes into that two truths. We used it then because it's what we knew. We get to unlearn that now. So two things happened. Um, I was supposed to go to dinner. <laughs> and then, <laughs> the, the day it, I mean, listen, this, the text happened at like, 11 a.m. dinner was at like eight. Who I had to go through, I had to figure out how I needed to show up. Mm -hmm. And I think I, the end result was I need to show up. I need to show up in my fullest form. And um, I think the consensus was uh, they weren't sure if I was going to. And what made you decide to show up? Why? Uh, I had to be accountable in as in any way I could. And I needed to show up with, I, I have, I told you this offline. I have never walked through a doorway with that much level of humility in my life. I was, I, I was prepared for anything and I was prepared to show them whatever they needed to see to know that I, my heart was open and that I was ready to answer anything, listen to anything. Mm-hmm. And I think the consensus was that's not common. And that's what actually was like, really? And that's where I had to learn. And so I had a lot of unpacking to do. First of all, I had a really great, um, piece of advice that I feel like um, I want to express to all other white people, especially in my generation, was whatever you're feeling right now after this, humiliation, embarrassment, um, you feel horrible, you feel guilt. All of those things are are your feelings. Mm -hmm. You need to feel those quietly. Yes. You can't take those into that house. And that was such an important thing for me to carry that day was because I think so many of us resort to that fragility. I feel terrible. This was horrible. What did I do? We take this pain in with us because we want to feel comforted first before we acknowledge our fuck up. And you know what? I, I needed to not center myself in that. I needed to remove that, feel those feelings, cry them in the shower, do whatever you need to do, get them out though. 
and do not get them out in front of QT Pac community, the pe those people, do not. That's like telling a black person, oh, things have been so exhausting, right? Which I've seen happen and I'm like, please don't do that. Please don't do that ever. Please don't do that ever. You will never know the exhaustion. You will never know it. Never. And so I had to decenter myself, but I've, Portia, when I say that I've never um, had that experience firsthand, that's exactly what I mean. That level of humility that I had to remove myself and go, this is what needs to be done. And then I had to look at my entire community, my generation, the X gen is, I was basically told by this community, you, this is not common. This is usually met with, I didn't know better. Look at me. This is what I, I if I wouldn't have done this, but, but you didn't, none of that matters. I think it's important that I didn't go in blazing with my apologies. Yes. Or demanding um, acceptance. No. And, and not only that, but I think that, and, and I was just speaking to somebody else about this. I was like, you know, my goal now is going to be to make sure that I enter that house every time I go with that same level of humility, not because I'm feeling guilty, but because that's how it should have happened already. Right. And I was, I was, I was taken down a notch. Yeah. Rightfully so. But they don't owe me anything, no matter how hard I come every time. Exactly. Nothing. I could, and, and I think that's a fault of the X-Gen a lot, is we do a lot of, I did all the things, I checked all the boxes, I did all the things, why don't they like me? Yes. Ugh. I did everything right. I did all the right things. Who, why are you to say what's right? And the level of trauma that anyone in the BIPOC community or QTPOC community has experienced at the hands of a white person. Yes. That we, we are not entitled to anything ever. I'm going to have a weird interjection. This is going to be kind of off base, but this is, this is a conversation that I've had with my black, brown and Asian community. I want to invite you. Let's let go of BIPOC. I really hate that acronym. I think that the way that it was created might've had the good intent, but now it becomes this weird lumping thing where we're just lumping all people of color together. And while we all go through our own different levels of trauma and that it might intersect and they're the same things, we need to acknowledge that we're talking about black people, brown people, and Asian people because they hit different levels of different trauma, different trauma experiences. And we also want to be recognized that, um, we're not just being tucked into one group right. to separate us from the white community um, while we still fight for the same general ideal of equity and justice. We still have our communities that we are aligned with. So that's just an invitation that I have. It's, 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 it's a fairly new-ish thing, but it's kind of one of those things where BIPOC became very trendy same thing along the lines of Black Lives Matter, but we want to be, we want people to be okay with saying Black people. Yes. And this people is, struggle with saying that. Yes. So actually, this is so interesting. I love this because I was told POC is not really used by pocket, but now I love this even more. Like, let's say Brown people, let's say Black people, let's say Asian, like, 
Let's call us who we are. Yeah. We are discussing. Now, yes, you will have people that are like when you're talking about an entire group of people of color. Yes. But let's call us people of color, black people, indigenous people, like brown people, Asian people. Let's just identify who we are. We can't be afraid to say our descriptors. And I, I remember growing up, people were like, oh, yeah, she was black. Ooh. And yeah, I so I had a whole conversation with Ryan, my partner, Ryan, about this because he was like, uh, why, why are people so scared of the word black? Oh God. So scared of the word black, but they'll say African-American, which he hates. He's like, no. And that's not for everyone either. No, I don't, I'm a black woman. I don't identify as African-American. That's yeah. so, yeah, that's, that's, that's just a gentle, a gentle nudge. No, I love it. I love it because I feel like um, I've never really felt like that acknowledged the people I was specifically talking about specifically, you know what I mean? Yes. You can talk. It's that, it's that fear that's been there, like to, to, to not say black people. So talking about black people saying BIPOC. Right. Right. And I think I get it when you're talking about an entire community, but when you're not talking about, yes, I appreciate yeah. that. And that's what this space is for Portia. I just M&M'd myself. You can tell me whatever you want, like nothing. <laughs> so the book is called the red tent by Anita Diamant. And I am outing. And, and not only that, but I have, I have recommended this book to countless people over the last five to 10 years. And so many of them have come back to tell me how great it was. Oh. And now, so this is, so you know, you know, when this happened, my wheels started turning and I was like, okay, this has to be a teaching opportunity for me. Not only do I have to be accountable and I have to educate and like, this author needs to be called to the table, but also who read this and did not say anything and also came back to me and told me what a great book it was. Two levels there. Yes. Two levels. I am having these conversations. Those are the uncomfortable conversations I'm ready for because I am not white savioring you. I just fucking went through this, Shirley. Like I am going to do this because I just did this with myself. Right. And that to me is white anti-racism racism like education right there white on white in that moment yeah. in that moment with a specific example because <coughs> excuse me we talked about this too where we we don't want to have to personalize thing we talked about that last week but then also this week again we have to get there somehow right so sometimes we have to personalize it this is a prime example you you almost in some ways bragged about this book, about how great it was. Oh, no, I did. Not even almost. Like, okay, let me let me set the stage a little bit better because I didn't, but this will make sense. Is uh -huh. this, this is a new partner of mine and they're Polly as well, and it's their partner. So I really wanted to make this um, special and I wanted to make this connection. So when this happened, I mean, I was like, I have ruined this whole fucking relationship. <laughs> like I was mortified. Right. But also they came back to me and said, no, I'm here for this learning. I'm not like, I, but I'm not going to make you feel okay with it. And I'm not going to make you feel better, but I am going to be here and be a support while you go through the motions and your emotions. They gave you that uncomfortable safe space. Yes. They made sure that you were accountable for this grandiose action and made sure that you still felt what you needed to feel, but gave you the aftercare that was necessary. 
And aftercare is such a great word for it because of course I think, you know, but still it's like, but it isn't that exactly what it is. This is something hard you mm-hmm. need to fucking do. Mm-hmm. But it's, you, you're going to get through it. Right. And here's a disclaimer that I want to throw out too, because your partner is white, correct? Correct. So looking for that safe space is important in a white person. Yes. <laughs> Go find your favorite black or brown person and say, please hold me because I did something racist. No. And that's, and that was the other thing. Then they were so lovely about that. They were like all these feelings. I get it. Right. Keep them here. Yes. Yes. Keep them here. And, and I was telling Ryan about it and Ryan was just like, best advice they had. That was the best thing that could have been said to you. That whole situation. Yeah. Your feelings are valid, but they're not valid for you to bring there. Thank you. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. We were talking a, a bit too about um, the book White Fragility and about how I'm like, eh. Be- because there comes a point where black, brown and Asian people do not need to see the fragileness of white people. I am super invested in the end result. I am super invested in these bright, shining moments. But what pains me, and this is me specifically, what pains me is when somebody brings all of that angst to me about what they're going through. I can't believe what I used to think. I can't believe what I used to feel. I can't believe what I used to say. I can't believe it either. You're like, and? (laughs) I love you today. I love you in this space of who you are now. And I'm so glad of what you're working through. Please don't remind me of the shit that you did. That doesn't help me. I don't need to know every step of your healing. I'm not your therapist. So I don't have a checklist for you to take home of saying, did you do this, this, and the other? No, I'm interested in that end result. That's what I want. And I think that's important to just kind of recognize because I think that's something that's getting stuck in this, in this loop of teaching about anti-racism. We don't need, here's an example. I do love examples. I'm not a math teacher, so you don't have to show me your work. That's a great example. Great example. Cause you even, and I hate that you had to give this disclaimer after the first episode, but we, we did a live on Instagram and after it aired and you were like, let me make something super clear. Neither of our inboxes are open for your transgressions now. No, That's not what this is. You need to, M did the work themselves to show you what it looks like. Now you go do it. Yes. Don't fill their inbox either. I don't need that. It's not an algebra exam. It's not, you don't have to give me your entire thesis. Just tell them it's new math where you can't see the work. It's fine. The new math shit, like a box and everything. That goes against everything I believe in, but yes, it's a good example. I also don't need like your whole thesis before your doctorate. Just give me your doctorate like presentation. I don't need all of that back work because guess what? I know what white people have gone through to unbake and unlearn racism and white supremacy culture. I know it because I live around white people. I know what racism looks like. I know what white supremacy culture looks like. I know what somebody who is covertly 
racist looks like. I know what somebody who has lived in a land of microaggressions who thinks that everything they're saying is just fine, but everything they're saying is not just fine. I know all of that. And for many, many, many of my almost 42 years, I let that shit go. And I am not doing that anymore. I don't want, I don't want to hear that. I'm happy that people are doing the work. I'm happy that people are finding out ways to educate themselves. Please don't check in with me. I'm not a rest stop. I'm not a truck station. You don't have to call in all of the things that you're doing. I am proud of people for doing it. I promise that I am. I don't need those checkpoints. You also don't have to be proud. Like I sure don't. I sure don't. I absolutely do not. I absolutely do not. And I feel like that need, like they, they, they want to show you because they want that validation. They thrive on that. And for every checkpoint that I get, I get less proud. Why do you have to, why do you have to keep telling me that now you get it? Like, just get it. Just fucking get it. Like, just fucking get it. I I love how my checkpoints are the other way. (laughs) My checkpoints are like, I fucked up again. Guess what? They're all. I love that you could not get to that story fast enough. And that's, that's the shit I need. Like, let me tell you how I fucked up, but let me also tell you what I'm going to do about it. That's my aftercare. There it is right there. You just brought us to a great point. When you fuck up is one thing. Tell me what you did to fix that. Tell me the steps that you made to correct that behavior, to acknowledge the pain that you caused and to address future behavior going forward. That's the aftercare I need. I don't need to hear that you fucked up. I get it. People fuck up all the time. What are you doing to fix it? I was like, I cannot wait to do this on the caucasity because I need people to know a like, guess what this weekend's entire thing is. I am going through all my old books. If you think as a white, this is to all my white people, but this is specifically to all my white ex gen community Uh people between the ages of 40 and 50 right now, if you think you are doing the work, oh, I thought I was doing the work. There's always something you're missing. There's always something you're missing. And I got cocky last week. I got cocky. I was excited. I was excited to go into this house. I was excited to make a great first impression. And the universe was like, hold my fucking beer. Let me show you that you are fallible. You were raised in white supremacy. And you are not even fucking close to being done yet. And I was humbled. And you know what? Now I'm like, I am going to, the X gen is my target audience. Now y'all are problematic as fuck. And I am here to make sure that, you know, like I, we have to reread books. When I told this whole story to Ryan, he said, I got two, two books from my mom that were very similar. And I asked her, have you read these? And she goes, no, it's been a while. How often are we doing this? Right. Right. It's happening way more than we realize. And so if you think you are being anti-racist. Guess what? I'm I'm a really good example. And I'm here to be that example. And I'm here now to have these conversations about this book. Right. I had somebody, I talked about this on live this morning. I had someone tell me, a follower, a very regular follower, say, I'm interested to hear this episode because I'm not sure I agree with you about the book. And you know what I said to her? 
I said, your opinion doesn't matter. Sure doesn't. The feelings of the people that were hurt do. Period. That statement just baffles me. Absolutely. That's exactly what I said. I was like, Mm-mm, that's we're not going to actually do that. So you don't agree that people are hurt by this? Right. And that's kind of what there's, there's this immediate need to center our own yeah. experience and defend why we read something or supported something. Right. When, why can't we just put a full stop at the end of people were hurt? That was shitty. I am sorry and we'll never do it again. And I'm going to change this way. Are we, I feel like we're going to have this common theme on this because we talked about this last time. As an adult, when somebody tells you that somebody hurts or something hurts, you stop doing it. Period. But I, don't care if it's so I don't care if it's two words in that book. I don't care that it's fiction. I don't care that it's supposed to, um, it's supposed to mirror the Old Testament, this book. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe they were taking it from the verbiage. I don't care. It doesn't matter. It caused harm. Exactly. And the fact that someone white wanted to defend that is it. And, and, and do I think that this person is horrible for that? No. And I know they'll be listening and I know they'll know exactly who they are, but do I think that that is the way that the average X gen white person goes into thinking about something when they are confronted with a microaggression or racist or transphobic or whatever? Absolutely. And that is, right there the problem that's the unlearning that has to happen excuse me the unlearning goes beyond again that overt racism it goes beyond the big big things that we see that are harmful and and painful and and hurtful it goes into the deeper dive of the microaggressions it goes into the deeper dive of the stuff that might sound like it's okay but it's really actually really offensive. And it's nine times out of 10, the, the thing that has somebody saying, well, I don't agree. I don't care if you don't agree. It hurts somebody. Period. And I'm going, and I know we're going to get this. So I'm going to say this in the episode right now. There are transphobic verbiage. There are in this book, mm-hmm. there is verbiage, uh, microaggression and racist verbiage against the one black child that is in this family and the underlying turf feminism is horrid. Um, That's all that needs to be said. I am not giving you page numbers. I am not giving you because that is what (laughs) this is the point, right? If you need proof in addition to someone being hurt, you are not understanding the fucking point. No, because you're right. I mean, let, let's just let's just say, let's just let's say that you read this book for the first time. You cracked the spine on this book. It's never been read before, and you read it, and you're like, ah. I'm gonna give a disclaimer. It's still fucked off, right? But at this point, it hasn't specifically caused direct harm to somebody else by reading it. The minute somebody says that they are hurt by what they are read, it now needs to be addressed as such. Period. It doesn't period. matter. Like, period. <laughs> doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it hurt your feelings or not. Like it doesn't like that's 
that's I think that's one of the cores of anti-racism is decentering white people and their feelings. Yes. Period. Like, and and I felt that going into it. My immediate reaction was to defend myself. Of course it was. And I had to immediately take myself out of that and go, mm-hmm. okay, you hurt some people here. It is really important for you to shut up. Right. You listen and to make yourself available in any way you can. I've been alive longer than so much of the, you know what I mean? Like there is going to be more that comes out. Like that's just. You're going to, and outside of it, helping with our conversations, you as a white human being are going to fuck up. It's going to happen. The minute that you don't, will be beautiful, obviously, but you're going to. And I talked about this last time and I will say it every single time. Fuck up, make the mistake. Obviously don't do it intentionally, but when you make that mistake, recognize what happened and then have an action plan to not do that shit again. And because white people are so fucking worried about making a mistake, they overcorrect. Yes. Rather than they overcorrect, but they don't acknowledge the moment. They want to get past the uncomfort so they can cor- overcorrect. They overcorrect and underdeliver. Like that's what. Yes. I- that part. That like, part. Don't try to correct this big issue when you're still asking to touch your black coworker's hair. Every day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't overcorrect this big issue when you still question why a black person lives in your neighborhood. When you're still asking what what Micaiah Bryant was doing with a knife. All of these questions. Why did Dante Wright run? Why the fuck do you think he ran? So all of these little questions that are being asked. Because there's this big desire to overcorrect this bigger issue, which needs to happen. But as it turns out, you can't climb a fucking hill without making those little steps up there. We aren't fucking video game players that can jump from the bottom to the top and boom, we win the game. There's levels along the way and you can't skip those levels. It's like this another. Oh my God, I'm so on the analogy game tonight. But let's just say that we try to jump up that hill, Right. We miss, so we grasp onto something, and then we just slide down. And as we slide down, we hit every fucking branch and rock, a problem that we ran into when we make it worse, and we create like an avalanche of sorts because all that shit that we thought we were fixing, we're ripping it down and making it worse because we didn't touch it. Imagine if you have this mountain, like of all this like foliage and shit, and you're like chopping it down as you walk up there so that the next person that comes up behind you, guess what they don't have? All those trees and all those bushes and all that fucking turmoil. Just imagine, just for a moment. Exponential difference. Huge. But again, we're not thinking about that. We're thinking about immediate gratification. We're thinking about our egos. Yes. How can I look like I've done so much? Well, and how can I save face? Yes. How can I look like I've never fucked up? How can I look like I've never made a mistake? I want, 
I, I'm I, somebody, somebody told me the other day, they were like, I think you're like thriving in these uncomfortable conversations now, but not all of us like them. And I was like, that's fucking tough. It's nothing to do with you. I'm that's sorry. Of your business. I'm sorry. You're not tough enough for this. Like, let's get, it's going to continue happening. So either stop talking to me or get with the program. Cause that's what these all are right now. What an interesting thing to say out loud. <laughs> Do you know how many times I've said that to somebody? Did you say that outside of your head? Did you realize that you were saying that outside of your head? I've said that a few times. Do you I had a friend, I have a friend who's a, a black woman who was told by some of her white friends that they were feeling uncomfortable because she was talking so much about race issues. <gasps> I was like, so somebody said that to you out loud? Like on purpose, they said this to you. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, but okay. Kudos to you. Like weird flex for just calling yourself a racist that loudly, but go off, I guess. And anybody that says that is basically saying, I'm just fine with things how they are. Hmm. People tell on themselves all the time. You just have to let them. Yes, correct. And you know what? I think the the way the world is unfolding now and the way things are happening now I'm a perfect example. Just give us some time and we will handle it ourselves without knowing. And if we can lean into that education, if we can lean into that humbly and lean into that and go, I fucked up bad. This is what I learned and this is how I'm going to change it. And I'm not going to just say words. I'm going to actually do it. Right. That's when, I mean, I'm hoping people listen to this and go, shit, I read that book. Or shit, I was, I wonder what this book, I should look at my, I should look at my bookshelf this weekend. Right. I should do some work. It, it also comes down to the, as you were saying this to a thought came to mind is um, there has to be, you have to let go of that fear of judgment because people who aren't doing anything to better themselves are consistently judging people that are trying to do something better themselves um and that has to be let go and again i already said that i don't need every action like every step along the way of what you're doing and it turns out that you all like white people in general don't have to do that either you don't actually have to share everything that you're doing (laughs) you know what i mean it's not show and tell so unless you're sharing as part of some sort of education for another white person then just do it. Do just, it. just don't show, don't show us your meal, Barbara, just eat it. Like we don't yeah. have a picture of your food every time. Your beef stroganoff looks delicious, but I don't need it. Like you don't have to Instagram it. Just, just enjoy your stroganoff. Well, and so we touched on this offline a little bit, but I do think that there is some fear, some cancel culture fear. Yes. And I think that, um, I know for me, I was, I was devastated because I was trying to decide, I was trying to figure out if, if dinner was still going to happen. Uh-huh. And part of me was terrified that it wasn't um, and that I would be canceled and that I wouldn't have the opportunity to enter that space with an open heart and humility to um, be present for right. what I, they wanted to do. And um, that level of reform, it's a really hard space because I think X-Gen is a little caught in the middle, um, being that age group of cancel culture versus reform. And accountability. And accountability, right. And um, cancel culture is something that the X-Gen hates. And they talk- but yet they created. Totally, 
Totally. And that's just, that's just our generation in a nutshell, basically. But yes, excuse me. And that's why I love the story of your partner calling you to task, but also not pacifying you. And not bailing either. And that's, that was my key was there was this person that was like, this is a mistake and you fucked up, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going anywhere. Right. I am here for this because this is what relationships are. This is growth. I know who you are now, but I want to see how you handle this because I think this is important. While these people might not become your best friends, um, there's, they, they're still holding you accountable in a way. They're going to make sure that you keep showing up, right? They're going to make sure that this wasn't just like, oh, I fucked up. Let me go ahead and try to fix it so that I can fix my relationship and everything along those lines. It's this different level of accountability. And, and that's where Gen X is different. Gen X thinks that um, the opposite of cancel culture is acceptance and forgiveness. Of, and, and it's okay. Like everything that you did is fine. I forgive you. Come here. Let me hug you. Everything's okay. Um, and I'm guilty of that. As I say it out loud, I'm guilty of that. I have, I have explained away or okayed away a lot of things out of the fear of being somebody that cancels somebody. Right. And really what it comes down to is an apology does not grant access to somebody's personal space. So when we apologize for something that does not immediately say, okay, now I have full access to them because I told them I'm sorry. So obviously we can now be best friends. No, your apology is because you did something wrong and you're taking your, you're making yourself accountable for your incorrect behavior. That's as simple as it is. Right. I think XGen wants more. Oh, absolutely. An apology means, well, now we can go out to lunch or, Or an apology means, well, now I can bring you all of my shit about what I fucked up. Oh, that's an apology does not also equal access to giving me your algebra test. That does not mean that I now need all your work. I get that you fucked up. Don't tell me how you like, don't tell me these steps. Just show me that you did it. Yeah. Yes. I think that um, this kind of lesson is good for everybody to learn, but I don't think the X gen is going to listen as fast. And I'm here. I'm, this is me. I'm t- this, I am, I am constantly looking for a, a lane for myself uh-huh. Uh-huh. that is going to be part of anti-racism that is going to be specific for me <laughs> because I feel like um, there's a lot of people doing a lot of fucking general shit that is really not moving the, the meter. You know what I mean? Right. And um, sure, protesting is amazing. And, and I, I want to add to those numbers. I'm also, you know, not in the same physical ability I used to be. So, and there is that accessibility too. We have right, to talk about that. Right. And so I feel like now it's like, oh, this is a great avenue for me to have these conversations with my generation of why are you, why, why let's have this conversation um, and, and start those uncomfortable conversations around these kinds of, of mistakes and fun. Yeah. 
you're you're finding your lane in a very beautiful way. It's just kind of it, it just keeps like morphing into what it is, but you're not asking for um, a pat on the back as you do it. You just you just do it right. Um, I, I had a TikTok recently that I gave a gentle nudge to my non-white family to to stop using white privilege as an educational tool. And it went one of two ways. A lot of thank yous for that nudge. And then some people that were like, but I use it to explain it to white people. And so then I did a follow-up video, which actually got some good responses too. And this, I'm getting to this because this is what I feel like you're doing. I said that using white privilege in white spaces makes the most sense because the biggest deniers of white privilege are white people, right? We don't need those educational moments in spaces where black and brown people are because we're aware of it. And so I think that that's a lane that you're choosing. You are using your white privilege to call out white people, right? You're not using your white privilege to show, hey, black and brown people, look what I'm doing. I'm doing so much. Look at all my work. No, you're calling white people to task in the moment when it happens in whatever way makes the most sense at that point. And that in itself, and I'm going to speak for myself and I can't speak for anybody else, but for myself, that takes on a, 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 a huge amount of labor for me because anybody that knows me and you're getting to know me better and better and better. And then anybody who listens and follows knows that I come from a place of grace. I come from a place of um, joy and I'm palatable, like for whatever reason, it resonates well. My voice is kind enough, I guess. Um, and while that's all fine and dandy, there's that also a reminder that black people don't have to be kind. You got lucky running into me. You're welcome. Um, and so I need, I need sometimes that voice to happen because if I snap to the other side, it takes me to a different place, which I also have every right to go to. I just know that it's going to stop me from, from feeling good about what I'm doing. Right. right? And so when I can find an accomplice that's doing this work with white people and taking some of that away from me. Fuck. Yeah. And yes, if you fuck up, I'm going to tell you, but I know that you're going to take it and go with it. And so that's important. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, I think the, the biggest red flag for me is when someone is, has another white person call them to task or to the table and they can't, they immediately get defensive before I even hear their argument. I don't even want to hear it. I just say, we need to unpack why you're so defensive, sweetheart. Right. Let's talk about it. Cause I've done it. I've been there. Yeah. And I had to unpack it. And now I'm like, Whew. When, you <laughs> can, when you can feel that level of humility that you're, you feel like you were punched in the chest and you're like, Oh, that's real. Yeah. Well, I know we could talk about this forever. We've gone over our one hour mark, but I want to end on a happy note. Yes. I feel like um, it was it just me or the Oscars, the Academy Awards were incredibly melanated last night. Oh my God. It was black as fuck. And I loved it. I was like, keep it, keep it hot. Keep it going, please. I loved it because they did this segment, Quest Love. First of all, they had Quest Love. Oh, I was so excited. I was like, okay. Stop it. And they did this whole little thing where they were trying to figure out if a song was nominated a winner at all. Screaming, screaming. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to center a white woman here for a minute because it's Glenn Close. 
Did she just, okay. I'm sure it was staged. I'm sure it was staged, but I don't care if it was. She got up and shook her old ass doing the butt. I was like, stop it. She was like, shout out to my friend Spike Lee. And I was like, okay, she, Ryan and I were watching it and with Maddie and Ryan was hollering. It was so funny. I will tell you why that was beautiful. So it was beautiful to see all those black faces, right? Just beautiful. Angela Bassett is just a vision. Um, but like on a personal note, that song doing the butt, my dad used to do that song with my mom all the time, like in the kitchen and drive her just completely batty. Cause he's just like bumping. And so it's like, so the blackest Oscars that we have is essentially a tribute to my dad. And you can't tell me anything different. I was like, look at that. But I loved it. It was, there was a different vibe because it was a smaller crowd. Which um, I prefer actually. Yes. I was like, this is SAG Awards, but on a smaller scale. Like they were just chill, just hanging out, whatever. Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. There was just, and and we talked about this offline too. Maybe it was a little bit forced. Who knows? Maybe it was planned. Who knows? It doesn't matter. This was something that we needed. This is something that the Oscars deserved, that that they owed us. We we deserve this from the Oscars. And I, I loved it. Plus Glenn Close. I mean, I could play that on loop. Right. I was like, okay, Glenn. Okay, Glenn. Okay. Uh, every time she said something, I was like, what? Okay. okay. However, did, they did stumble with Chadwick Boseman. Like that was a huge stumble for me. I was really disappointed in them. I was I like, I still might write a letter. I s- still might write a letter. I was like, how did that, what? Mm-mm. You just had all this black excellence and you lost that human being and yeah. then was up for an award. What? Yeah, that was a mess. Was a that was mess. that was a huge mess. And I do feel like there was there were a few that, through the night that I was like, mm. and they were they kept boasting of a bigger night and like less filler. And, and I was like, so we still have to hear the, you know, sound mix. OK, like yeah. there were still some things that I was like, I would have rather. OK, yeah, getting <laughs> we're getting there. I would love to see this same size. For the future it just was just a, a better event and i liked it the grammys were the same way i felt the same about the grammys i was like this is like i mean we were all still subjected to brad pitt's weird ponytail but besides that, how is that a thing what how is that still around like i was like uh, it's like a life of its own right okay great <laughs> cool. like but you know i was really happy i felt like it it added some some joy um, to an evening that a lot of us were like, oh, here we go. We're going to watch a bunch of rich people celebrate each other. Right. Which is that what it nice. used to be. It used to be. But yeah, I believe uh, the, the icon of the night for me was Angela Bassett. When I when she was like, I didn't even care what she was talking about. I didn't realize till the end she was doing the in, in memory part. Yes. Because she was talking just the way she delivers anything. I was like, I don't even care. I Yes. And they had her so closely after Viola Davis. I was just like the beautiful sandwich. Of, I tweeted, I was like, Viola Davis has the ability to be an icon, a motivator, an inspiration, and a crush all in one. If that's not Black Girl Magic, I honestly do not know what is. Oh, yes. Both of them. I was just, but then, then Angela's red dress and I was oh God, and the hair and the, ugh. oh God. 
I felt horrible when she was done cheering because I realized we were about to talk about all the people that had passed. And I was like, oh, God, I didn't know that's what she was. I was so focused on the icon that was her. I, I am so grateful, and I, I say this, uh, I will say this every time, I am so grateful for your time and the energy that you give this, because I know this is not your responsibility, and I know you don't have to, and this is, uh, your energy is very, very appreciated here. I am happy to be here. Um, I love it. I love it. I love, again, that I was granted this, and I love that I get to share it with you. I think it's beautiful. Well, thank you. And if anyone has uh, suggestions, things that you want us to talk about, um, we might have guests now and then. I do love guests. Yeah. Um, so we're, 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 we'll be chatting about that, but please email us. Um, I will put the email in, in, in the details. And um, until next time, um, yeah, be accountable. Yes, be accountable. Be actionable. So, yeah. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and all the episodes. We hope you'll join our quickly growing online community where there is always someone to hold a space for you if you feel alone. If you have an idea for an upcoming guest or topic, please don't hesitate to reach out. All social media links and contact information can be found at my website, MaryAngelaAbeo.com. And until next time, take care of yourselves and those around you. And by that, I mean, wash your fucking hands, wear a damn mask, defund the police, pay the fee, basically continue fighting for the rights of indigenous and black lives everywhere, including and especially black trans lives, and do your part to abolish all forms of systemic racism. I'll see you next time.